and welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is a comics podcast, and this is your host, Ilana Levin. This is the comics podcast for people who want to get closer to hearing about the creative process and work of the people who make the comics they love, especially people who are bringing new and vital queer perspectives to the world of superheroes. Joining me today are some guests I'm really excited to have. They are Brant and Stein. Brant and Stein are collectively one cartoonist living in the UK and working in the US. Our big focus today is going to be talking about their latest work for DC and for Marvel's Pride issues. They're best known for their work on the multi-Eisner and GLAAD-nominated book, Crowded, which I actually got to speak with the writer about, like, I don't even know, right when it began, Chrisabella. Crowded is a near-future dystopian buddy comedy about a disaster bisexual who wakes up to find herself the latest victim of a Kickstarter for assassins and the grumpy lesbian she hires as her bodyguard. The pair have also done sequentials and or covers for Marvel, Valiant, Dynamite, and DC. For DC Pride, they're bringing Green Arrow's son, Connor Hawk, who is also Green Arrow. Uh, they're bringing him out of the closet and canonizing his asexuality. For Marvel Voices Pride, they've created Sheila Sexton, aka Escapade, and Morgan Red, Marvel's newest trans and trans mask non-binary mutants, respectively. These characters will embark on a high-flying yet intensely personal mission, and that will take them from floating party barges all the way to the mutant nation of Krakoa. And I am very excited for them to be gay and do crime together. So welcome to the show, you guys. Hi. Hello. It's like perfect. That's probably the only time we'll sync up quite that much. Fair enough. It was a pretty straightforward prompt. <laughs> um, so how did each of you guys get your start making comics? And well, together. Um, we've, we've never made a professional comic solo, either of us. We met in university, in fact. It. Yes. Um, ah. We uh, tried getting into the art game separately, and when it came to comics, we realized this is too much for one person. <laughs> when mm. it keeps anyway. Yeah, we, we knew that if we wanted any shot at being professional anytime soon, that, like there's no way we either of us was either you know, had the wide enough range of skills or the speed to um, do it all solo. So we decided to team up. We were, we were already a couple, so it made sense. Well, we do love a super team up in the world of comics. What can I say? <laughs> what brought you guys into comics as a medium? I grew up loving them. Um, I think I read my, I was reading my first ones at two or three, um, Asterix and Tintin books from my dad. And, mm. but, and I, while I do still really love them, what really captured me was he had a couple of, um, like these really fantastic reprint volumes. It was like, um, Superman from the thirties to the seventies and Batman from the thirties to the seventies, which was just like black and white. It was a, this big volume of black and white reprints of key stories from various points, as well as, um, a load of the covers. So between reading them and then like the, um, X-Men animated series coming out, I knew that comics in general and superheroes, especially were something I really loved. Whereas I initially wanted to be an animator. But uh, during my first year of university to learn how to do that, I realized I could not hack it. There was far too much repetition of the same, very close to each other drawings, and I just didn't have the stamina for it. But I really enjoyed the storyboarding element, and so that seemed to work mm. really well to transferring over to comics. You know, as someone who uh, used to draw and actually still does stuff on my own, even the amount of repetition required to make sequential comics is like, just absolutely killer. Like, you want me to make the face the same at multiple angles when they move? Ah! <laughs> yes, consistency is difficult. <laughs> Very much so. What is your process of working together? Like, if somebody just says, let's get started, make, make us a page. I mean, well, so... We do break down the pages us, uh, together. Yeah, so, like, we'll, we'll read through the script. Um, <clears throat> so, like, generally, we'll go through, like, identify what seemed to be the key moments from the description because uh, you know ev every writer has a very different process for how much information they're putting into each panel description so we often go through and like just kind of highlight the key bits that actually apply to the visuals rather than vibe and we also uh, do word counts to see um how much dialogue we're going to have to try and fit on the page and um when it comes to laying out 
uh, thumbnails and uh, the just general shape of the page. We have like uh, filler balloon type things to see the general size so that we know how much space it is we're working with. Yeah, I mean, so like, um, as far as the, it goes for the actual layouts, we kind of, one, once we've got an understanding of like, you know, what the word count is and what the visuals are, we kind of break the, pa- the page down into just panel shapes, more or less on instinct, and then start, because, you know, once we've got the panel shapes, that's when we actually put together what exactly what shot we're going to use for each frame. And then it's over to you to pencil. Yes, I make a big mess. <laughs> But it's it's semi-legible. Yeah, and that's why I'm here. I'm the other half of this. It's my job to clean up this. Wow. When you say pencil, do you mean you work on paper or do you mean pencil digitally? I pencil digitally TED inks on uh, paper. Oh, okay. I've I've tried digital inking and God bless everyone who can make it look good. I can't. It's too slick for you, isn't it? You don't like the... uh, no, like, of the screen. There, there are people out there who can, who can make absolutely incredible looking digital inks. You know, I mean, hell, most of the people who work in superhero comics, but I can't. So yeah, I'm old fashioned pen and paper monkey. Yeah, I um, there's something very different about the feeling of the material under your hand. Absolutely, I and not only the material under your hand, but the bite of the pen into it, like. I need a bit of res- resistance. It's, it's why I also, I kind of like brush inking, but my heart belongs to nibs. <laughs> I lost my heart to nibs. I like it. <laughs> who, who are some of the big visual influences on your style? I do have the animation background, so I, there's quite a lot of um, possibly Disney type stuff. Glenn Keane was a, a big influence growing up. Um, he just did stuff like... Um, the Little Mermaid and Tarzan and all that, and he still did like he mm. still done um, design work right the way up to things like Tangled and all that. Yeah, exactly. So, got a few uh, art of Disney books going around on the shelves. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely the more widely read of the two of us in comics. Absolutely. <laughs> um, which works out well actually, because I think one of the things that makes what we do interesting is the fact that you're not trying to look like anything else. Fair, because that means that if you have um, something that you want us to push more towards, you can say, hey, can you make it look a bit more like that? And I don't have any actual preconceptions of it. So it's like, I could try and push it towards that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, we've done things that kind of tend more towards the kind of, you know, classic superhero-y, imminent type vibe. We've done things that tend more towards... Asterix. Asterix. Um, we did a, a pitch that sadly never went anywhere that... Um, that was very like kind of um, rounded um, kids kids book. Um, we've done something that we tried having a witch hat atelier vibe. Like you know, we. I mean, the key thing is we really try and stay flexible. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that you guys have really been part of working in a number of different styles. But I also kind of think like when I was looking at this latest work, I, I was like, "Yep, this is from you guys." You know, I like that. Yeah, I mean. We try to make sure that it's recognizable because like, although it, although it isn't an influence like for style purposes, then we're both, we both live in awe of the flexibility of Stuart Eminem. Like, you know, he can draw mm. it in any, any manner of different styles and you know, it's a Stuart Eminem piece. I think that's to do with him putting himself into it. Yeah. It? So absolutely. that's what we try and do. I don't think, um, if we're having fun with it, you can definitely see that we're com- it's us coming through on it, no matter what kind of style we're trying to work in. It also it helps, I think, that all the expressions are based on us. Yeah. Hmm. So you, you work on references of each other and stuff? Yes, quite a, quite a lot. It's a lot of photographing and... Um, yeah. Um, <clears throat> with videos as well, if you want to try and figure out emotion, it's uh, much better to take a video than trying to pose in a certain... Uh, position that you're wanting because quite often what you think you're doing is not actually what would happen so having a video on the phone that you can go through this um single frames and see the action and pick out which point you want to uh put on the page really helps it's basically turning me into um a, a, a scene from um 
John Buscema's How to Draw Comics the Marvel's Way, where he had the, the, those kind of sliding scales of too weak to um, to medium to too strong action. Like, yeah, it's, it, I basically do kind of run through that gamut, and then we pick the frame that actually works. Huh. Well, one thing I noticed, um, you know, I, I've, I've read comics with Connor Hawk in them, although not a ton, uh, but I'm a big Green Arrow person, historically. It's a character who I've read a lot of. And my main introduction to him was in, like, the uh, Phil Hester slash Kevin Smith series from back in the early aughts. And uh, I felt like, in some ways, it was some of the color choices and the uniform, but I felt like this felt like it was from the same planet as those comics, despite having a much more... I don't know, up to date and more fluid feel in some ways. So I, I, that really worked for me as a continuation of that other character work that is kind of defining, at least if you're a certain age. Oh, I'm glad. I mean, like as far as the palette goes, we were um, given like the uh, latest Robin issues, which is where Connor's turned up and said, mm -hmm. like, try and use that as your basis. So at least in terms of Connor himself. The rest of it was well, you just to mm -hmm. go in and ham and make it fun. <laughs> I'm excited to see the I'm excited to see the character return. Um, yeah, who, whose idea was it to do a Connor Hawk story? 100. percent Our editor Andrea Shea. Hmm. She um, got in touch with us last year and said, you know, gave us the basic pitch of look, um, we really want to make sure that. There's asexual rep in this year's DC Pride because um, there wasn't any last time around, and we want to correct that. And you know, if you look through all of the all of the history of him, there's a lot of strong textual evidence that Connor is ace. So we want to mm -hmm. make it official. Do you want it. in? Yes, Andrew gave us quite a packet to like this is all the evidence I have and on the desk type thing. <laughs> I freaking love it. I mean, I, as someone who hasn't paid a ton of attention to him outside of his relationship with his dad, I had heard about people having, you know, interpreted the character as ace. And I'm always a big fan of when the, the publishers make official what fans have been reading into the story for the entire time. Um, like, I'm not sure that every single person who worked on earlier pages in which we look at them and are like, yep, that guy's ace, uh, had that in mind. I suspect some of them did. Um, but there's something that does, it, that does still feel important about people being able to say like, no, this is definitely there. And you don't get to tell me that I'm like projecting myself when I, when I say this, at least, I mean, I'm, I'm not ace, but like for the queer identities that I have when I see those in characters. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that was the thing. It was really important. Like, we wanted the words on the page explicitly. And, like, it's also why that we, we've, like, carefully woven it between the Robin arcs that he's turning up in. Because that way, you, they can't say, oh, it, you know, it's not, it's not a hoax. It's not an imaginary story. <laughs> we, we can place it exactly where it happens. I mean, it seems like your character is finding himself in a place where he's been aware of this for a while, but he hasn't really talked to other people about it. Or he certainly hasn't told his mom. This the story here is very much about him trying to tell his mom. But um, like, is is your Connor Hawk someone who's spoken to multiple friends about it by now, or a very select few friends who's we spoken to about it? I mean, like the way we were tackling him is that like. The whole death and rebirth thing gave him clarity. Yeah. And it's this thing of that he hadn't kind of ever quite confronted and finally came to think about. Like, and so Damien already knew, but that's largely because that's Damien. They, yeah. They, and they, <laughs> they, they've been working together. So, I mean, you know, we've got him from the dialogue that this is not the first draft of this letter that he's tried to write. And, that Damien has been there for at least a couple of them. So, like, I don't think, certainly when I was writing it, the, 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 some of the dialogue, it, it was intended that he's, he's not long realized it about himself. Because, I mean, especially, because, uh, you know, I'm trying to write, I tried to write it as much from my experience as possible. And I didn't realize it until I was in my late 20s. Mm. And which is yeah. partly, partly what the story is all about like you know explicitly explaining how in a very allosexual and sexualized society it can be really difficult 
to figure these things out about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a cool choice that you had to have him be writing this letter where he's like trying to sort of put it, put an explanation of this into words for people who might not understand it. It's, it's a cool tool to use. Yeah, well, I mean, the the letter is, has a history as well. Because there's been, um, there was one particular issue that Andrea centers where the framing device um, through the story is another letter to his mother. Was well, a more of a correspondence with that because yeah. she writes back in that. But uh, yeah, so it's um, um, part of his history that he does write letters to his mother. Yeah. So we're not aware. Who is his mother? Sarah Munday Hawk. Woman who uh, had a short but wonderful affair with Oliver Queen and then Ollie vanished on them. I mean, that's one of the things I most associate with Oliver Queen is like having a lot of complicated, messy relationships that he's handled horribly. Um, it's funny. People are like, well, how is he one of your favorite characters? I'm like, I didn't say I wanted him to be my friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is, I'm like, because those make for interesting stories. And often the way he fucks up are the very believable ways that look like real people. And it's fascinating soap opera. What, what do you think? I totally had it in my head that his mom was someone who was more involved with uh, the superhero, supervillain life, but, um, but she's actually normal. And so that's kind of interesting too, because her son is definitely you know, been living a superhero life for a long time. Well, I think Connor's relationship with his mother is actually fairly straightforward. She's normal and her son at, at age 13 volunteered to go live in a monastery. Like, this was not an ordinary kid. Who does that? Yeah, it's quite... And it seems like you've kind of talked about his archery and stuff like that. And you talk about this in your pages as being a way for him to try to connect with his father who he did not know when he was little. Yeah, well, I mean, like, that that was a really strong theme in, like, the 10 issues or so where he was introduced as a character. Um, yeah. In in the homework, like, it was very obvious that he'd practiced, that he was practicing archery because he was in awe of this father that he'd never met. And that's, and he- that's really rough. That's a pretty complicated character motivation. I, DC has this history of having legacy you know, legacy heroes, like characters who take up the mantle of a parent or a mentor or even a person they never met before who they were really inspired by and being that hero. And there was extended periods where Connor Hawk was Green Arrow. Like I, you know, I saw some of them in JLA and stuff like that. Wow. How do you feel about writing and helping to define and in some ways redefine a legacy hero like, like Connor Hawk? Well, it, it was very odd. Yeah. I mean, like it was a big honor, but also like quite surprising. It was all very new. You're letting us do this? Yeah. Mm. I was so but, relieved to hear that they were actually having. You know, yeah, 100%. Like, absolutely. One of the things I wrote about uh, when, I, when you guys and I were first beginning to talk is, um, you know, when you're writing a legacy superhero, you're always trying to figure out how to distinguish their personality from the earlier version of the character. In some ways, different characters have had have had an easier job doing that than others to keep their personalities distinctive. Connor Hawk is someone who's never seemed like his dad anyway. Uh, but I was trying to sort of distinguish my enthusiasm about them, you know, having, you know, making a character canonically ace with my also feeling of like, oh, it's really good that Connor's ace because that'll be a cool contrast with his dad, who was like very much not. And, you know, I think as a narrative tool, you're like, how can we make a, a character who's younger feel really distinct from their predecessor in a meaningful way? But by the same token, I also don't want people to interpret Connor's being ace as something that is re- a response to his dad's actions. Because I know that that's not how we like to talk about our queerness or gender or any of those things either. Do you have any thoughts about that? It never even occurred to me personally that it could be a reaction to Ollie. Like that, it did come up in a conversation. It was like, oh God, I'd, I'd never, I'd literally never considered that. No, it's just when we were really, it was like, oh, this just seems like who he is. So it was, it, it's kind of the thing like doing the homework, he kind of, Almost it became completely, it was completely separate from Ollie, even if he, when he was in the stories, it's like, I'm not focused mm-hmm. on Ollie at all. Yeah. I'm here to learn about Connor. And I, I mean, like, even, even if you go back all the way to like the opening issues, 
you know, there's multiple bits within that where he's clearly showing signs of asexuality, but none of it is framed yeah. as a reaction to his father. None of it, like he, he's not angry at his dad for running out on him and him and his mother. He's not, he, he doesn't like, he's not embittered about that. He just want like, even in those really early issues, when he gets the chance, he wants to just connect to Ollie. There's no resentment there. It's just, you know, I want this because it's good, because it'd be good, not because it's compensating for anything or, and it's the same with his asexuality. It's like, it's, it, it never reads as a reaction to Ollie. He did. It's literally just like it, it one of the things, it, one of the early issues, a, um, a beautiful woman hits on him and his response is to not even notice, like it genuinely yeah. doesn't occur to him. So it's, yeah. it's not like it really isn't a response to Ollie because he's not going, Oh God, I, I better not, yeah, I better not be with you in case I turn into my dad. It's just, I've already got my own roof key. Thanks. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's really remarkable, like, and unique for the character that he is someone who doesn't have like resentment towards his parents in this kind of scenario. I don't know if this is something where you're like, oh, he kind of learned how to be more at peace with it because of his time in the ashram or, or what, but it's a, it's a pretty unique character note. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to be pretty unique in order to volunteer to go live in an ashram at age 13 anyway. So didn't he go because he had anger issues? Yeah. So like, so he has worked through a lot of things Yeah, at the ashram. So I do love the idea that, uh, uh, that Ollie's son is more emotionally mature than he is. I think that <laughs> is, oh yeah, 100%. And that's a cool contrast to draw between him and his dad. Another cool contrast to draw there is that Connor Hawk isn't white. And there are a lot of comics that have happened. I, I'm saying this, you're not saying this. There are a lot of comics that have happened in the past where the character, um, if you were unfamiliar with them, you would probably assume that this was a white person. So I was really excited. Like, I love how you're drawing him. You know, it's really, it's really clear that this is not, not only is this not a white character, but this isn't a, a white character who's just had a different shade of color put on his skin, you know? I mean, that's always very important to us. Like, if you're going to do the job, then it, it behooves you to do it properly, I think. We always try to be as racially sensitive as possible in terms of, like, honouring ethnicities and Earth characters. It's, it's not difficult to look up facial structures. I, I don't understand why <laughs> uh, some people struggle so much with it. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Like, it's very easy to Google and like, we, we found whole reference sheets, like explicitly talking about what cheek structures do, like what eye shapes do for like, you know, all across the globe. So you can really narrow in on what sort of, yeah, what sort of features will be appropriate and accurate so that people who sh share that, you know, the ethnicity with the character can look at them and go, they're like me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important for character design that character, I mean, like everything about it is like, you should have this be clearly a person of color. This is good for the character design and all of that. Actually, speaking of which is new with his, co is his costume coming from the Robin comics or did you guys help design the new, his costume? No, that's from the Robin comics. The one thing we did do was add an arm bracer because, um, he wasn't using a bow in that. No, he, uh, <clears throat> we're, we're the ones who gave him his bow back for the first time since he came. Mm. So we had the arm racer for archery purposes. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's a good outfit design. Um, I like it. What, what are your thoughts about, I mean, obviously he was paired up with Damian Wayne as like a character to hang out with by the folks who were working on the Damian Wayne series, but what, what are your thoughts about them as a team? I find them quite fun. Yeah, like they're, they're both, like, even though neither of them are angry about it, both of them have daddy issues. Mm. And so, you know, it, it becomes some quite interesting, quite interesting, uh, quite an interesting pair. They also have a very certain type of humor because they're both the, de the, they're both the straight man. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Which, That's like, true. You end up having some very interesting, uh, you could have interesting um, back and forth with that. Yeah. Also, it's just, 
it's a really good pairing because they're both legacy characters who are, you know, at least almost as good as their mentors in in some respects and potentially better in others. So th- there's a, mm. you know, they do have a lot in common. Uh, I don't know how they're handling chronology in this, and so this might be completely off, but I feel like Connor is older than Damien, and so I think it's kind of cool for Damien to uh, have a mentor who's like a young person um, and is well-balanced in the ways that Connor is. is yeah. But is, is that accurate to how you guys are, are reading the ages? Yeah. Like, I, I don't quote me because we're not certain, but I believe Damien's somewhere around 14 and Connor's like late teens, early 20s. So, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that anytime uh, one of the bad kids gets to spend quality time with someone who's not a complete wreck or Dick Grayson as the alternative, um, it's probably good for their emotional growth. So, go team. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, the name of the story that you have is called Think of Me, and it takes place in a theater. And so my brain was kind of like, is this? It is. It's Phantom of the Opera. Uh, wh- why, what made you guys choose um, that particular song and play as the setting for the fight? Well, the setting came first, and then I went through, we were having trouble thinking oh. of a title. Specifically, the villain came first. Yes. Then the mm. setting as a result because it was like what can you steal what what musicals and stuff have something that'd be worth stealing it was like oh the phantom that has a, a very famous chandelier <laughs> so you talk to me about the choice of using music master i think it works on a metaphorical level with this story so well but like yeah tell me how you you, you chose that as the villain we just love him yeah like because i mean before before any of the writing got done like we we're batting around concepts like Oh, maybe it could be Merlin or just it, none of them felt right at all. And then just, I, I would love to tell you that it was completely on purpose, but the metaphor came out of Music Meister and it works really, really well, but that it wasn't intentional from the start, at least consciously, mm. but it's just, we're really big fans of Batman Brave and the Bold. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it worked because it feels like, the, the, uh, you know, Connor Hawk like, puts in his earplug so he doesn't get brain controlled by Music Master. And I kind of view that as a metaphor for deciding to block out heteronormativity. Like everybody is being conducted into this big orchestra where they're going to be hearing this one song and expected to react to it in a certain way. And Connor has decided, like, no, I'm actually not going to let this m- this music shape me. I'm I'm going to do my own thing. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, like, that's that's what the the letter, yeah, explicitly goes into. That you know, if if you are asexual, it's not even so much that you're necessarily choosing to um, uh, block it out. Is it's in some cases, it's the case of that you can't even hear it. Yeah. Mm. Not even aware that, yeah, you know, you're not hearing the same things other people are exactly, and so you know, sometimes you have to then like take that moment of control to just not focus on the world around you and hear what's within you. That's really powerful. Um, and Music Master's costume is really cool here. Oh, that was fun to design. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, it's like. It it's basically a phantomized version of his costume from Brave and the Bold. Mm. The the sunglasses with the musical note thing just freaking killed me. A lot of fun. I know the fact that we got to you know got to do that is great. But when when he's when he popped up in Brave and the Bold, it's just it's a great design and being played by Neil Patrick Harris as well. It was so much fun. So we did try and like make him look in this kind of like he's being played by NPH as well. Oh yeah, no, I get it. I see it. So it's so cool that this was included in that, in that collection, you know, the DC pride. Um, I have not been able to get my hands on a preview copy of it. So I've not been able to look at the other stories, but it looks like a really promising collection in terms of the diversity of what it's covering and some of the characters that, that, that they will be including. Um, do you mind sharing some of the 
other stuff folks will be able to see in the comic? I mean, yes. Um, I know Nubia's got a, a story. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's a really good one from Nubia. Um, got both uh, Tim Drake and John Kent in separate stories. Um, nice. Which is fantastic. And was it Poison Ivy and a Solid Quid one, right? Yep, and, uh, and Jackson Hyde, the uh, soon-to-be Aquaman. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. You know, I'm excited that Jackson Hyde is going to be Aquaman, but I've never read a darn thing with the guy. So I, I think oh. that this issue would be a good introduction for folks who maybe haven't seen some of these character stories before and for whom, right. like myself, a character being queer, it's going to make me more likely to want to read their book. So I've been reading Nubia. We actually had uh, Stephanie Williams on earlier to talk about Nubia. Nubia is wonderful, but um, putting a character in a pride issue is definitely a shortcut for getting me to be like, oh yeah, maybe I'll check out their book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I absolutely adore Jackson, so can't recommend enough. Mm. What the stuff that's been going on with Jackson from the, um, um, like f from the Kelly Sue run onwards, it's, it's all just been golden. It really has. And the, the, the final the final piece in there, um, in the book is the Kevin Conroy, um, Kevin Conroy, Jay Bone and Aditya Bidikam story, uh, Finding Batman, which really knocked me on, on my ass. It's so good. Like really powerful, powerful. For folks who don't know, Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman, will always be the voice of Batman, is the Batman for me. Um, and he's gay and he's writing a Batman story in the comic. Yes, it's not. It's not a Batman story. It's a story about his relationship with Batman specifically, and this is also biographical, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the story of how he got the job on Batman the Animated Series, and what was like being a young gay out actor. Yeah, like, and so I, I'm not going to give any spoilers or anything, but yeah, it's a really powerful personal piece about what. His experiences meant to him and did to him, and how that enabled him to become Batman. Cool. Yeah. No. I. I. I've, he's someone I've always wanted to know more about because he's his acting has been so influential. And then I found out he was gay, and I'm like, I extra bonus care now. So I love voice actors because I love animation. I really appreciate their work, and I'm excited to see that getting highlighted by DC itself. It's su it's such a good story and a really perfect way to end th this issue of DC Pride like because it just is I mean it's the ultimate legacy really yeah yeah well I also want to hop over uh to talk at least a little bit about um your work on the Marvel uh Pride edition um I don't have a review copy of that so I've only sort of seen the the preview page that was released um about Escapade but uh I am really excited about, you know, actually having uh, a transmutant where that's, I mean, there've always been transmutants, but like a character who they're like really going to be highlighting as a, a transmutant, especially during the time of Krakoa um, or two transmutants. And then their non-binary BFF Morgan Red is, seems to be like the guy behind the desk, quote unquote, for Escapade. Yeah, um, pretty much. What what can you tell me about working on this book? It was a lot of fun, um, definitely. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed uh, working on the character designs. Yeah, because it, it it was one of the, it was one of those just really lucky coincidences where we, like, you know, were planning on finishing our work for DC Pride at the end of March, and then you know we had plans for May, and <clears throat> Sarah Brunstad at Marvel just got in touch and said, "Hey, are you busy in April?" And no, so coincidentally, see, really lucky, and like you know, then finding finding out that Charlie Jane Anders was writing it was definite plus. Yeah, no, she's really impressive. Um, and having you know a trans character by a trans uh, writer is again a really smart way to do it. Um. You know, in the interview that I saw with Charlie Jane Anders about Escapade, she spoke, and this is on the this is on the Marvel website about um, the character not necessarily having a ton of trust for the existing mutant community on Krakoa, which no. I think 
is a really nice touch. Yeah, I mean, Sheila's not big on authority in any flavor. And as far as she's concerned, mutants have gone from underdogs to cops. So there's a definite, you know, there, there's a definite flavor of, I'm not so sure about this. I don't like what you've been doing. Yeah. And I, to me, I also sort of would have imagined that there'd be a sort of cynicism that like, you know, even in a community of marginalized people, there is still going to feel like there's a hierarchy of who is accepted and whose needs are prioritized. And um, her life experience may indicate that that has not necessarily been trans women who've been included in that. Oh, 100%. Though, like, <clears throat> though, like, the story isn't ever explicitly saying that she's expecting them to be, yeah, transphobic or anything like that. But yeah, she does have a very healthy distrust of this, the way Krakoa works and exactly what it is they're intending. Which is great. Like, this is the really a good timing for that story to enter the uh, Krakoan story, you know? I oh, mean, yeah. New Mutants has been touching on that. There, it, there's been other comics issues in the Krakoan age of Marvel that have, but I, I like seeing a fresh voice leaning into it. What's also fresh are her shoes. Talk to me about Escapade's shoes. They're your shoes. They're my shoes. They're, they're just a different color. I have a pair of boots like that. They don't have the um, propel the um, propulsion system on them, but I do have those boots. That's what I want to hear more about. So yeah, she's got propulsion shoes. Unfortunately, none of the rest of us do. What, but uh, tell me about how that works. I don't mean like literally. I don't need to Star Trek the physics <laughs> of it. But like, what's the significance of that as a tool for her? Well, she doesn't really like using her mutant superpower, so she's more of a scavenger of yeah, she, parts. Yeah, exactly. Like her and Morgan basically like raid old bits of tech where they can to yeah, or you know, devices from a villain or all this sort of stuff, and build their own equipment. So she's basically got some cast-off repulsors in her shoes and her gloves, and she's got you know. Um, a variety of gadgets and things. Like, um, did it gravity die? Yeah, like um, all that sort of stuff that that, that, that you know come out of her, her tool belt, which isn't a Batman utility belt. It is a literal tool belt, you know, because it's it's all about practicality. Mm. Talk to me more about the design for her outfit in general. Well, one of our editors, I think, had the idea for the actual. Um, jumpsuit yeah uh, but we had the collar and um we um uh, said uh, the jacket should be a cropped like moto jacket type thing yeah because originally there was there was the trench coat yeah murmurs of trench coat or similar length and but again practicality mm. if you've got a lot of pockets you want to get to so and also yeah trench coat over belt not always a great silhouette so I can speak about that personally from my own struggles and experiences. So I think it works really well like this. Yeah. So, I mean, everything about her was designed to practicality because she's, you know, they're not rich. Neither of, neither of them are rich. Um, they, they're not well connected. And neither of them have mutant powers that they want to rely on. So it's a, it's a matter of like practical, functional, and the best things they can scavenge. Um, I mean, can you talk about like why is Escapade not want to rely on her power? Well, yeah, because it, it, the, the, the power is out there, which is, you know, um, it's the very abstract thing of she can switch with other people, but not like, so it could be as little as like place or it could. Or I have your shoes now. Yeah. Or, or it could go all the way up to, I have your life for the next two hours. Like where people oh, will wow. acknowledge me as you and things like that. So it's a it's a weird type of um, reality warping. Yeah, but then brief time. The problem is that like that's such a broad power and a broad scope that she doesn't want to rely on it because doctrine of unintended consequences being what it is, there's a lot that can go wrong with it. Mm, yeah, it's like a black bolt kind of thing where maybe it's too powerful to use sometimes. Yeah, or or like it's also like a case of you know what if you miss and you don't quite get the effect you were hoping for. That's the other problem. So, you know, um, yeah, she's her and Morgan. They're both 
fairly new to this and definitely like untrained. So it makes total sense that they'd want to rely on things that they can tinker with and trust over powers that they don't have a brilliant system to like tame yet. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely a lot of room for growth, you know. When Steve Orlando and Stephen Byrne co-created Somnus, a, a new gay mutant for the Marvel Pantheon, uh, who's um, in last year, if I'm not mistaken, Pride issue, uh, we were just so excited to see that he was able to continue writing the character in the new series that he was going to be doing. Um, obviously, that kind of thing is one of the, the key steps towards getting uh, newly introduced characters to really stick around. I don't know. Do we have any sense of there's a of where Escapade might be showing up next? Um, even if it's yes. just having a drink at the Green Lagoon. Oh no, she's going to be like fully in, um, like definitely. Yeah, new mutants, Moon mutants, Moon mutants. Yes, yeah. yeah she's, she, like she's going to have like an explicit arc within New Mutants, uh, 30, 31 to thirty three, I believe, which uh, Charlie Jane is writing. And then as far as I know, I mean, again, this is, don't quote me, but I'm given mm -hmm. to understand she'll be sticking around with the team after that. I'm so excited, you guys. I love to hear that. Um, and, you know, for anyone who hasn't been reading the New Mutant series, like, the you know, the writer on it is non-binary. There's lots of queer characters in it. And it's a really good book that's had a lot of good artists working on it. This seems like a really good place for the character to go. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, especially when, like, once people read exactly what's going on in um, Escapade's 20-page introduction, then it will become very obvious why New Mutants is a really good fit. Ooh, 20 pages is a lot, too. That's that's cool. Oh, yeah, like, it, it's a big introduction because there's, there's quite a lot to get through in terms of, like, establishing character and powers and motivations and all of that. Like, so, yeah, no, it's, it's a full... Issues worth. Yeah, it's a full issues worth of story. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of space to be able to build from. I'm glad you guys were able to do that. So are we. Hmm. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about working on um, that character or, you know, your feelings about working on a mutant comic? I mean, we hadn't done mutants before, so that was nice. Yeah, that was because, uh, yeah, um, We'd all been out of Avengers office in the, the few bits we'd done for mm. previously. So is that, I mean, that in itself was very nice. I love Hibbert. Yeah. The Hibbert is their um, liberated flying turtle. Yes. Tell me about their liberated flying turtle. Well, they, they still live from a lab, right? Uh, as far as I'm aware, yes. Yeah. So it, they've, just, um, they've just got a pet little turtle with wigs. We're, we're strongly I'm pulling jealous. from feet. We're strongly pulling for him to be the new uh, Jeff the Land Shark because uh -huh. people cool. went nuts over Jeff, and I really want them to uh, feel that same sort of connection to Hibbert because Hibbert's great. I love a good pet. Uh, you know, another little thing in the sample pages that were released are they have they seem to have a poster of your queen and mine, Kate Pride, in her classic '80s bomber jacket, turning and saying to the camera, "Professor Xavier is a jerk," except that the word bubble is blanked out. Um, I truly feel in my heart that these are characters who would feel that and want that poster on their walls. I mean, that was definitely the tip. I don't know if that's going to survive to final print or not. That was still under discussion by the time we we were done. So you, you hand ink every single one of them, dang it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so I I don't want to get people's hopes up too much because it that it was under discussion by the time we were done. As to, well, to be clear, I'm getting this from Marvel's website, so I'm not saying anything. But it's from May, but so I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm not speaking out of class, is what I'm saying. No, but, no, um, not uh, that's the one that went up. We just like I you, don't you, know if that's the one that's going to print. Exactly. So we just want to, you know, just want to prepare people because if if it if it is there, then that's awesome. If it isn't, then we're sorry. Yeah, but, we were quite surprised. Those were the pages that got put into the preview stuff. It's like I. Thought they were going to change that. <laughs> yeah, but they're not. I mean, it maybe was, they changed their mind back. Exactly. It was a fluid discussion, so who knows? It, this, it, it, all that sort of stuff's the you know, it's the post, um, all, all the editing and post stuff that 
by that point, we weren't really a party to. Our, mm, our part was interesting. Our part was done at that point. Interesting. But, you know, this is such a good, the panel is such an important moment in X-Men for someone calling Professor out on his shit, um, even if he wasn't completely wrong in his decision in there. It's very much like a good observation in general. And I love having it be Kitty Pride, who is bi, even if we can't always say that, but it's just a fact. Um, <laughs> are there anything else you guys want to talk about with Marvel's voices? I'm very excited for everyone to see it and also very just very excited to see the issue fully because it's we haven't seen it yet have we? we have not seen it yet and the list of stories now looks really cool mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well these issues are a lot of fun um you know i think they're a good opportunity for fans to check out queer characters and get into books that have them and hopefully encourage them to have books that feature them if they are not featured in it yet and support queer creators who are making it um you know it's not e- I, I don't know if this time everybody who worked on the issues is queer themselves. Um, that hasn't always been true in the past, but they usually at least have a lot of queer talent on them. So uh, w- what else do you guys have in the works coming up? Nothing we can like officially talk about, unfortunately. It, you know, it's the nature of comics. Mm-hmm. So the, it's one giant, giant pile of NDAs for so many people. So <laughs> like the, the main thing we're doing this year um, will take us to the end of the year, but we probably won't be able to talk about it till around then, which sucks ass because it always makes us so lazy. It's like, I know. Yeah, we're, we've definitely got something happening. Yeah. <laughs> sure, you do. Yeah. yeah, we do. We really do. And it's just, well, yeah. When you have that out, I'd love to have you guys back to talk about it because it's a pleasure talking with you guys. And I, I think you have such a cool look and feel to your art. I, you know, if I had to describe it, I feel like you guys really thread the needle between a style that appeals to folks like me who grew up with positive associations with like Bronze Age art, but also have a modern look and feel to it that younger people, you know, may connect to more and also has the sort of really bold classic cartoon influence from things like Batman Brave and the Bold. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So pleasing to across the generations, not to stereotype what age of people likes what, but you know, you do sort of see some tendencies there. And um, I think that you guys are great at doing something that'll appeal to them all. So keep it up. Uh, so tell our listeners, what's the best place for your folks to keep it up with your work? Well, we have the Brantenstein email, which is no, uh, no, website. Yeah. Brantenstein.com. Uh, yeah, like, so we need to update that. I mean, th- there's not much we can update it with, really. We still haven't put the red sun on your stuff. Yeah, up. we have. Have we? Yeah, I'm on top of it. I'm not. No. So um, on on brand design, like we've got, um, you know, it's mo- it's more a professional website for like editors to look at because it's you know got like lists of exactly what we've done. It's got snippets of yeah, like, like s- samples of sequentials and covers, things like that. So I mean, people are more than welcome to go look, but there's not. A lot there for a casual viewer in that way. Um, mostly just find us on Twitter. Well, me on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sometimes. What's your What's your account there? Um, at ten underscore bandits. I love it. Oh, what What does that mean, by the way? Um, oh, it's, it's that's it. It's who I am, according to uh, one person. Because, uh, like. A, a, long, dentist? A, a long, long time ago, um, I got into a car accident and like, you know, as part of doing my insurance, um, stuff, then like, you know, in order to claim for the whiplash that I got, I had to be checked out by a, um, a court approved doctor, not my own one. Fine. So made an appointment and that was all good. And then, um, when uh, when it was like a, a day or two before the appointment, the receptionist called up to confirm and said, "Hello, is Mister Ten Bandits?" I was like, "Right, there we go. That's my name sorted." <laughs> okay, I like it. As good of an origin story for a superheroic name as we can come. Um, yeah. As for me, I'm on. T- <laughs> as for me, I'm on Twitter a little bit too much at e l a n a underscore Brooklyn. This is Graphic Policy Radio. Uh, we will have more interviews with folks working on awesome work for Pride Month. We have an upcoming roundtable about the work of George Perez coming up. 
a um, couple interviews with some really exciting comics creators who will be joining me as well. And uh, so please subscribe. I'm also putting out a new thing where I really need to have more Apple uh, iTunes reviews. And if you do an iTunes review and you rank us and write a little blurb about what you like about the show for them and send me a note, I will do a special thank you for you on the podcast. And if you have a request for me to give you a one minute review of some piece of media that you like, comic, movie, you know, whatever, if there's something that I've seen, I will grant you that bonus review. So guys, get on it. Get me those, uh, get me those iTunes reviews because it's really a key way for us to help other people find the podcast. And I've been doing it since 2012, my friends. And as we'd like to say, keep it geeky. coming back for the third year in a row with our extremely cool speculative anthology of all LGBTQ stories by queer and trans authors. It is called Decoded Pride. It's at decodedpride.com and you can pick up a subscription today for only $14.99 or if you go to any of our social media sites on Instagram or Twitter at Bitches on Comics or if you follow us on Patreon or support us over there on Patreon, we have discount codes already all plugged in for you and you can get it for even cheaper so go check those out but right now you can get it for $14.99 at decodedpride.com and Sarah what is decoded what are people gonna get you have stories of comic books you have stories of horror stories you have fantasy stories science fiction all of the things you know what speculative fiction is i don't have yeah, to stuff that's you. just even just too hard to define genre bending what's especially cool is that every story that is not a comic has a piece of art that accompanies it we hope you'll come support us and all of the amazing creators we're getting to publish this year we are absolutely ecstatic again join us at decodedpride.com